Welcome to Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast, where we discuss scientific research in simple and exciting ways that is applicable to everyone. I'm Ben Rasmussen. And I'm McKay Heaton. And we are your hosts. Welcome back to Noggin, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about hedonic adaptation. So this is something that we've brought up in multiple episodes, but we wanted to do it justice and give it its own episode. It's finally here. (laughs) After all this waiting that you have been doing on the edges of your seat, we are here for you. We hear you. Don't worry. So without further ado, hedonic adaptation. First off, think of the best gift you have ever been given or the best thing you have ever purchased for yourself. Think about how excited you were before you got it. Think of how awesome it was when you finally had that thing. How long did that feeling last, though? Were you surprised how quickly the euphoria faded? We have talked a lot about this before, but this loss of pleasure is called hedonic adaptation. Something that is often discussed in the positive psychology realm is something called the hedonic treadmill, which is our pursuit of that euphoria that always fades after we buy something. So hedonic adaptation research seeks to understand how we can avoid adjusting and getting used to the things in our life so that we can hop off of this hedonic treadmill. However, there is an adaptive reason for hedonic adaptation. One thing that's important to note is in the context of negative changes in our lives, hedonic adaptation acts as a psychological immune system that helps us adjust and get used to the negative things in our lives. So when something bad happens to us, maybe we are diagnosed with something or we lose our job or some other negative thing that happens in our life, we have a built-in immune system that helps us fight off the negative effects of that thing happening in our life. And that's hedonic adaptation. We tend to get used to the bad and the good things that happen in our life. And so for the bad things, it's good that we get used to it. So we're not as affected all the time by something bad that happens to us. But for the good things that happen to us, researchers want to understand how we can better fight off this hedonic adaptation so that we can get more enjoyment, pleasure, euphoria out of the good things that happen to us, out of the things we buy, or whatever it is, just the good things in life. So with that, we have a couple of research papers we're going to talk about today that get at this idea of overcoming or maximizing hedonic adaptation. Yeah, so the first article we're going to talk about is called Adapting to Heart Conditions, a Test of the Hedonic Treadmill. This was published in the Journal of Health and Economics in 2001 by U. Chinese name. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think I said? I don't know. I thought you were just saying like, ooh. (laughs) I was was waiting for it. (laughs) No, yeah, his last name's U. Anyways. So this is a one-author paper. It's pretty cool. So we're going to talk about the hedonic treadmill, and this specifically has to do with like the negative experiences in our life, which I think is very interesting. So the author used a set of data that was representative of the United States and included a little over 11,000 people, which is wow. large. That's massive. Yeah, he just used a data set. And the data that was used was a survey that asked people about their physical and mental health. For example, they were asked, how healthy are you? How good do you feel? And how stressed, anxious, or depressed do you feel? This survey also asked about heart conditions and how long they'd had them and also how long they thought they were going to live and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So it was just a really big survey and it had a lot of stuff, but he only picked out the stuff that he wanted. So what they did was this survey was given to people every two years for a multitude of years. And so he only took the first two years of this survey, though. 
And what he wanted to compare was the health of the people who had a heart condition before the first survey. And then they got another heart condition after the first survey, but before the second survey two years later. That was the first group of people he was looking for. And then the other group of people that he was looking for were people who got a heart condition for the first time in between the two surveys. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he wanted to compare people who had a heart condition before taking the survey. Then they got a new one. Then they got a new one. And the people who just got a new one in between the surveys. Okay, gotcha. So there's people who were like old timers who had two heart conditions. And then there were people who were just like, oh, I got my first one in between the two surveys. Gotcha. So he wanted to compare that because he wanted to see if the people who had a previous heart condition had adapted hedonically. Mm. If to had, the heart condition. Gotcha. If, so if it, yeah, if they had adjusted to the heart condition. So when they got the second one, it wasn't as big of a shock as it was for the people who are getting their first one. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. So that's what, he was, that's what he was going for. And what he found out is very interesting. For those who had a heart condition for the first time, reported themselves to be less healthy than those who got a new but second heart condition. So he found some evidence for hedonic adaptation when mm. it comes to heart conditions that the people who got a new one were more affected by it in their self-reported health Mm -hmm. than the people who were getting their second heart Mm -hmm. condition. Wow, that makes sense, though. Yeah, it does make sense. And so he also said and found in this article that the emotional health also showed hedonic adaptation, but it depended on the measure. So one of the measures that they measured for emotional health, it showed significant difference between the people who had two heart conditions versus their first one. And another measure, it didn't show as significant results. So, you know, there's a little mixed results right there. But overall, there was evidence for hedonic adaptation when it came to getting heart conditions, which is very specific, but also it helps us understand hedonic adaptation better. Yeah, and there's some other papers we'll talk about in a little bit that are some more examples of this negative hedonic adaptation and we'll also share some of positive hedonic adaptation as well but i mean th- this finding definitely makes sense i think about tough things that have happened to me or even just like annoying things like if i have a professor that i don't necessarily love the first time that happened to me it was life altering and i thought i was not going to make it through the semester but now if i have a professor i don't necessarily love it's not that big of a deal i've kind of gotten used to it and that's this idea of hedonic adaptation is we get used to things so if we get one heart condition and then we get a second one. The second one is not as dramatic and life-altering mentally as the first one is, just because we, we adapt as humans, which is a good thing. Old news. <laughs> Old yeah. news. I see this principle a lot in life as well, not just with like life events, but even in our biology. So skin mm. is the largest organ, right? It's the skin. It's right. awesome. It keeps everything <laughs> in. It's great. But one thing it does is that it adapts to the temperature of the environment. So the other day I was reheating some lasagna for dinner and I was holding Marley, our child. And (laughs) when I reheated it, I set it down, I sat down and she just grabbed the lasagna, straight (laughs) grab, fistful of cheesy oil boiling. Oh Oh, yeah, dude. And she just freaked out. Like, (laughs) as you could tell, because it was, it was burning hot oily cheese that she got on her hand she had a little blister it was so sad and she just screamed and it it was just sad okay so that happened to her but then I think about you know she probably wouldn't have had that experience if she was like in the tub for example in the tub 
I mean, most people, you know, you can think about a hot tub as well. Uh-huh. When you initially get into a hot tub, you're like, ah! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think you're going to die. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, is this even hot anymore? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, can someone please turn it up? You know, you do it in the shower all the time too. Right, you get yeah. in the shower and you're like, oh, it's so hot. And then you like five minutes later, you're like, oh, I need to turn it up. And then you uh, just keep turning it up. Right. So your skin actually does the exact same thing as like, your mind is doing like that psychological immune system is doing to life events. It's just adapting. So you don't feel as if it's as stressful Mm -hmm. and you can do the same thing with cold water too. You get into cold water. Initially, you're just like, Oh, but after like five minutes, you're like, well, this isn't even bad. Throw some more ice in here. (laughs) (laughs) So this principle I think is really cool because we see it in multiple parts of life, not just, like psychological events. Right, yeah. Overall, our body loves homeostasis. It loves just a nice balance. If we're too hungry, we eat. If we eat too much, we might get sick. If we are sad, our body tries to do things that will make us happier, or it will encourage us to do things that will make us happier. If we are too hot, it will adjust. If we are too cold, it will adjust. Our body just loves to be nice and balanced, which is good. Yeah, it's a good thing. And so This is really cool because it helps me remember like, oh, yeah, we'll get used to it. Yeah, let's 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 talk about the next paper. So the next paper is called The Challenge of Staying Happier, Testing the Hedonic Adaptation Prevention Model. This was published in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin in 2012. And it is by Sheldon and guess who? Sonia Lubomirsky. (laughs) We're charging five dollars for that. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to reach out to her and bill her for the fact that we're talking about her so much. (laughs) But, so these researchers wanted to understand how we can prevent hedonic adaptation. They used a model called the Hedonic Adaptation Prevention Model. So, spoiler alert, it's in the name. They want to understand how we can prevent hedonic adaptation, the positive kind of hedonic adaptation. So when something good happens to us, how can we continue to enjoy this thing and not get used to it so that it loses its value? So the participants were 481 students from a social psychology class, and they wanted to note that most of them had not taken a positive psychology course and thus did not know about hedonic adaptation. A few of them did, and I think they excluded them. So they they accounted for that. They completed questionnaires three times, six weeks apart, about good changes that happened to them since they last took the questionnaire. And this was just during the course of the time that they were taking this class. It wasn't related to this class, but... That was also something they noted. They also were asked to categorize these positive changes into something like relationship-related, money-related, and also they categorized it in how long it had been since this change had occurred. They were also asked to complete measures to assess their life satisfaction and positive affect. And then they also asked participants how often they thought about this positive change to assess how they were adjusting to the change, if they were getting used to it, or if it still made a positive impact over time. So... Among many other measures that I won't go into, they also assessed, this one's important for the results of the study, they also assessed their aspirations for more to see if positive change was satisfying them or if they wanted more. So think about the hedonic treadmill here. They wanted to know if they wanted more of this positive thing and if they were kind of getting stuck in the hedonic treadmill or if they were satisfied with the thing they had got. So overall, just to kind of review, because that was a lot. They asked them about a positive thing that had happened. They asked them to put that thing into a category of what type of positive thing it was, if it was relationship-related, money-related, and they also asked them how long ago it was. And then separately, they asked them about their well-being, their life satisfaction, and among many other things, how they were adjusting to this positive thing happening. So if they were still really grateful for it, if they didn't really think about it anymore, and also 
if they were wanting more of that thing or if they were okay with how much they had. So you said they took this three times a week? Uh, they took this three, three times, times over a six-week six week period. Okay, yeah. okay. And each time it was a different thing? Or was it the same thing every week? It was, it was a different thing, yeah. So each time they would ask them about a positive thing that happened. Okay, okay. so week, last, like, two weeks. weeks one, surveys one, two, and three, they were all different things that mm-hmm. they talked about. Yeah, okay, so I the, was just wondering if they were the same. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, so the first, the first two weeks they would ask them what was a positive thing that happened. They'd ask him all those questions. And then after two weeks, they'd ask him what was another positive thing that happened. And then okay. they'd do the same cool, thing. Cool, cool. Yeah, so the results here are really interesting. First off, continuing to notice the positive change predicted more positive emotions with that change. So that one makes sense. The more you thought about it, the more positive emotions it brought. However, they also found that if with that same relationship, continuing to notice the positive also predicted more desire of that positive change, which is something that you do not want. Because raising aspirations was also predictive of less overall well-being. So at first, that sounds a little complicated. But what they found was, to simplify it, if you noticed the positive thing more in this study, You had more positive emotions with that, which makes sense. You also had a stronger desire for that thing, which lowered your overall well-being. So the key here is that the desire for more of it is that hedonic treadmill, which lowers your well-being. So they were kind of like, hmm, that's an interesting kind of confounded relationship. Maybe like they mentioned in the paper that the seed of happiness also is the seed of lowered well-being. And how do we kind of avoid this? So they ran some more stats, as you do when you don't know what's going on. And they, they looked at some things called interactions. So pretty much just to summarize what those are is sometimes the relationship between one thing and another thing depends on something else. So like, for example, here in Utah, where we are on this nice, brisk December day, it snowed. A lot of people are really excited about that. And some people are not so excited about that. So one factor that is influencing this, whether or not someone is excited or mad about the snow, is maybe where they grew up or whether or not they ski or snowboard. If someone skis or snowboards, they're going to be way excited about the snow. If you are from somewhere warm and you're coming here for college and you've never touched a snowboard or seen snow before, then you're going to be pretty upset about the snow. So that is an interaction. How you feel about the snow depends on whether or not you ski. So they looked at some interactions for this. Regarding the relationship of continuing to notice brought more positive emotions, but predicted overall less well-being, They also found that the more that positive experiences were rated as variable, so here's the interaction, the more that positive experiences were rated as variable, or in other words, something that can't be expected regularly, this led to more positive emotions about it, but less desire for more of it, which is exactly what we want to maximize well-being. So these people who did not expect these good things to happen to them regularly had more positive emotions, but didn't have that hedonic treadmill desire for more of it. Does that make sense? I think so. So you're saying that if they did not expect this event to occur regularly, then their well-being was not lowered. Exactly. Yeah. So the people who thought, okay, I can expect this regularly, were desiring more of it and they sought after it more and that lowered their well-being. But for the people who just thought, yeah, this was just kind of a one-off, not going to expect this regularly, great thing to happen to me. They, they received positive emotions from it, but they didn't have that lowered well-being. And these are for people who they thought about and enjoyed the thing the same amount, and they yeah. received the same amount of positive emotions from it. The difference was the people who expected it regularly had that lowered well-being, and the people who didn't expect it regularly didn't have the lowered well-being. 
So it's like if somebody was walking on the street and they're like, oh, I found five bucks. They're like, they, they wrote about that. They're like, oh, the five bucks. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, yeah, I never expect myself to find $5 on the street again. Mm-hmm. It was a good $5 find. Right. And then whereas someone else who was like, oh, I found five bucks on the street. I'm going to find five bucks on the street every day now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when it doesn't happen, they're probably not happy about it yeah. or, or something like that or maybe you know, they that's start, what i'm guessing yeah they start walking on the street and they're always looking for that five dollars and, and then, it just kind of becomes something that they think about a lot more often in the i want this i want this i want this and it lowers their well-being whereas the people who found it they're thinking oh man that was so great that i found five bucks two weeks ago but they're not necessarily scanning the sidewalk for more money and so their well-being is better off than those who are looking for more mm, interesting interesting so they don't place a lot of life value in the uh, finding of the five dollars or the good thing that happened to them where it's like this has got to be a thing yeah interesting yeah so in conclusion the overall best thing for participants well-being in this study was accumulating small positive emotion boosts so having good things that happen to you and remembering those that come from varied positive experiences or changes so we can't necessarily control that whether or not something actually happens regularly or just happens one time, like you might get super lucky and find $5 every single day for the rest of your life. That's super unlikely. It's more likely that you'll find it once every couple of years, but we can think about things as being varied. So whether or not you choose to think I'm going to find $5 on the street today is totally up to you. If you find $5 on the street, that's like a happy accident and it's great. And then it's up to you whether or not you decide, okay, I'm going to continue to seek five dollars on the street every day or i'm just going to let this be a one-time thing and i'm excited about it and i'm going to let this be just like a fun positive change that happened in my life so that's kind of where they concluded the hopping off the treadmill can take place is when you don't expect these things to happen all the time you just kind of take them as they come so they're saying that people stay on the hedonic treadmill of always reaching and going for the next thing because they want they're expecting it and it's Mm kind of like expectations are the things that are keeping people going. They're like, oh, I expect that. I want that. And then they keep keep doing it. And so if you're just like, you know what? I have no expectations to find that again, (laughs) to Uh find the $5 again. I'm good. That was such a great event. And (laughs) hopefully it happens again, but I'm not going to expect it to happen. Right, exactly. So that was an interesting study. Like we promised, we have some things that other studies have found just to kind of really drive in this idea of hedonic adaptation and how it works. So we've talked about this before, but they found in a study that lottery winners were no happier 18 months after winning the lottery than the average person who had not won the lottery. So while there was a huge burst in happiness when they first won the lottery, it tapered off. And after just a year and a half, there was no difference between someone who had won the lottery and someone who didn't in their overall happiness. Also, married people in Germany, this was another study, experienced a boost in life satisfaction right when they got married, but they returned back to baseline by the time they had been married for two years. So once again, huge burst in happiness when they got married, but then it went back to baseline and they kind of got used to it. And that was just something that was normal. So those were a couple of studies that just showed how hedonic adaptation works and other scenarios. It also happens with raises. So someone's really happy when they get a promotion or a raise, but that also tapers off. We just get used to these things. And so the trick is how do we not get used to them? How do we continue to enjoy these things? So after reading this second research paper and talking about it, my main takeaway for that is I think it really comes back to gratitude and mindfulness like we've been talking about in previous episodes. In this study, we talked about how the people who gained the most from their positive experience were those who continually appreciated that change but did not expect this thing to happen regularly and didn't seek more of it. So what I'm going to work on is being more grateful for the things I have 
and being really intentionally grateful about the positive things that happened to me while trying to live in the present moment and not constantly looking forward to the next new thing that's going to happen to me. So being grateful and mindful, being grateful for things I have, the grateful, grateful for the things that have happened to me, and also just living in the present moment and appreciating it for what it is and not necessarily looking forward to the next great thing that's going to happen to me or that I'm going to buy or that someone's going to give me or whatever it is. And that's obviously hard during Christmas time because everyone's super excited about presents and stuff. But <laughs> just as a general rule, I think that's, that's what I'm going to work on. I think that is the key to hopping off the hedonic treadmill, as our good friend Sonia Lubomirsky has taught us. <laughs> Sonia. I have a question for you, Ben. I'm yeah. interested to hear what you think. This has made me think about Viktor Frankl's book, A Man's Search for Meaning. You've read that, yeah? Uh, yeah. So It's been a while, but yeah. In the book, I remember one of the guys that he was talking about in the concentration camp, he came to Victor and was like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out of here on this day. And he was like, Victor was like, great. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> cool. He, he just said he knew that that was going to happen to him. And so as the day neared, his health got worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And he died on that day. Oh, wow. When he was not released. Hmm. And Dr. Frankel argues that it was because of his expectation that it was going to happen by that day and that it didn't happen. Like that expectation not coming mm -hmm. is what put him over the edge and killed him. Hmm. Is that, that, was, that was like his argument. Yeah, that's interesting. And so I'm wondering if you think that that same kind of thing is happening, but really in really minuscule amounts with the hedonic treadmill. Yeah, I think there's probably a relationship there. It'd be interesting to look into any research that maybe anyone has done looking into Viktor Frankl's ideas. I think that in that book and in, I think we, in my positive psychology class, we read an excerpt about how he made it through and his mindset was just kind of taking things as they happened and being honest with himself about where he was. So he was just kind of like, you know what? I'm in a concentration camp. I may or may not get out. I'm going to take this one day at a time and just see what happens. And that's how he made it through. And so that, I think, is very wise and something that we can all learn from. Instead of constantly looking forward to the good or the bad things that may or may not happen, just living in the moment, being honest about what's going on. These are the things that are going well in my life. These are the things that are not going so well in my life. And just kind of appreciating that as it is in just kind of like a mindful, grateful way, I think can really make a big difference. I think, I think that's true too. But what would you say about expectations? Like, is it good to have expectations? Because it sounds like his way of like getting through the concentration camp was like zero expectations of uh -huh. getting out. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. expect to get out. I might die. I might not die. Uh -huh. Whatever happens, it's going to happen, you know? Yeah. So do you feel like that's equivalent of saying like zero expectations is the way to go? Because I've thought a lot about this, yeah. and I still don't have an answer. Yeah. So I'm just interested in what you would have yeah, to say. Yeah, I think it's, it's a balance, is, is my thought. Like, like all, I mean, the, the, the answer of psychology is it depends, <laughs> you know? It's a good answer. Um, yeah, it is, it is the answer. <laughs> but I think expectations can be good, and they can also be very hurtful. So like in that concentration camp example, those expectations were potentially played a big role in the demise and death of that person. However, looking forward to something like if you are at work and you're having a really hard time wanting to work 
having the expectation and looking forward to a vacation that's coming up or the weekend and things like that can or help you. the United States World Cup match this Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> 8 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. <laughs> <laughs> on Fox, I think. Um, they didn't even pay us to that either. I we know. need to get, we need to charge more. I for know. This. <laughs> free, but, uh, <laughs> free advertising. You're welcome, guys. Yeah, but, but having things to look forward to can make the present more enjoyable because you're grinding an essay and you're like, what is the point of this? But you have that grade at the end of the semester to look forward to. You have graduation to look forward to. You have the, the bowl to of look ice cream to. waiting for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Like token economies from like a behavioral perspective where when you do something good, you get a reward. I think that is a that is a good thing because it helps motivate change and helps motivate behavior. And people would not work and society would not function if there wasn't the reward of a salary. Totally. Things like that. However, I do think like this research has shown that if we are constantly striving for and sprinting after on the treadmill to find the next thing, you know. Or get the next high from a reward. Yeah, exactly. Then I think that's where we run into problems and we can lower our life expectations. And if we get so set on this thing happening, so if we get so set on, for, so like a, a personal example for, for from me is I've been working for the last couple of years to get into grad school. I've submitted applications. I'm waiting for that thing to happen. But I, I also understand that if I don't get in, it's not going to be the end of the world. It would be really awesome for me if I got in and I'd really enjoy that. And that would give me a lot of happiness. But I understand that that may actually not happen. And so if you like are living your life as if your life is going to end if you don't get into grad school or whatever that thing might be for you, that's where I think you might hurt yourself overall in the long run. Whereas if you kind of have like hopes and expectations of what could happen, but also expectations of maybe this thing won't work out, then you're probably better off, better yeah. insulated from the disappointment that comes. And that, that yeah. person in the concentration camp likely was not insulated against the disappointment of not getting out on that day. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I, I mean, maybe in the huge life events, we should mm-hmm. have a little bit more like, hey, if this doesn't work out, like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe in the small things, we can be more like, I'm excited like for I'm that. Like I'm hyped for Saturday's game against <laughs> yeah, the yeah, exactly. you know? <laughs> Or Or I'm excited to for that vacation. Or uh-huh. I'm excited to, you know, see my wife after work or whatever. Right, yeah. Okay. Or excited for Christmas or New Year's. Yeah, that sounds like a good... Like I mean, yeah. that sounds like a really good good balance. Mm-hmm. It's a good balance. Most satisfactory answer I've found. <laughs> Thank you for your wise, wise advice, Ben. Yeah, you're welcome. What takeaways did you have from reading this research, Okay, I thought it was very interesting about the heart conditions and like the negative adaptation, negative hedonic adaptation. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I take away from this is I want to be less freaked out and stressed out by new things mm. or like new experiences that are not necessarily negative, but just different, you know, like, uh-huh. like moving or, you know, if you're in high school, like changing schools or if you are, changing jobs or mm. just do new experiences are like, they are stressful. I would ha- I like, I can't say they're not, but having the perspective in that experience to say like, I'm going to get used to this. Mm-hmm. It might take some time, but I will get used to it. Cause I know for me, when I've gone through those negative experiences that not negative, you know, just experiences that are hard. Mm-hmm. When I go through those, oftentimes I'm like, I just come home and I'm like, I'm going to die. You know, you just, yeah. you just think you're going to die, but yeah. you're not. And so I want to be able to, well, I want to be able to maintain that. Like I'll get better at whatever at mm-hmm. X, Y, Z in the future yeah. and, and it won't be as hard. Mm-hmm. 
So I want to be able to do that. One thing that I, I've said on the podcast, I concrete pump. The first, I, I kid you not, the first two weeks of doing it, I was like, I came home and I was like, I'm going to die. Like I, I was so tired and I was like, uh, my body felt so physically exhausted mm-hmm. that I was like, if I try and do this for longer, I don't even know if I could do this for a year. But then two months in, month and a half in, I was like, wow, this is easier. You know, mm-hmm. three months in, I'm like, wow, I can do this in my sleep, yeah. which is so weird, but amazing that our body and our minds can adapt in that way. Mm-hmm. I think that is very, very wise words. That's something that I definitely struggle with and I have been trying to work on, especially since I've gotten married. My wife, Becca, knows really well that I do not handle change super well. And I I know I don't, and I am very open about that. And sometimes she'll be like, what is wrong with you? It'll be like the first week of the semester or the first week of a new job or something like that. She's like, what's going on? And I'm just like, it's just, I just hate, like, even if nothing's going wrong yet, it's just hard. It's hard to change. And it just as you don't want after 9.30 McKay because he's, he's curdled, <laughs> That's you, don't want, you don't want the first two weeks of a new experience of Ben because he's not <laughs> ripe yet, you know? Yeah. You don't want to bite into totally. an unripe Ben. It's got <laughs> to ripen up a little bit. So that yeah. is definitely something that I think I can work on as well is because it's, it's easy to tell yourself that like, hey, this isn't going to be that bad. Things are going to get better. Like it's going to be easier. I can concrete pump. It's a lot harder to feel that. <laughs> totally. So working on like feeling that and letting that sink in and not letting it ruin like the first two weeks of a new experience, no matter what it is, is something that can definitely help with overall life satisfaction, yeah. I think. And it sounds a lot like self-compassion, like we talked about a yeah. couple weeks ago. It's just, it sounds a lot like, hey, it's okay. Things will get better. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like a self-compassion attitude. I think that's why self-compassion works really well. And, <laughs> and same with mindfulness <laughs> and gratitude. So And reading fiction. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Just kidding. This has nothing to do with reading fiction, but <laughs> maybe it does. I don't know. But yeah, no, I think you're really on something with self-compassion there. Just like giving yourself that space and that grace to start something new and to not be hundred percent and things like that. And just understand that, Hey, things are going to get better. My body was built for this. Like my body was built to change. It can cope with this. It can adapt. Yeah. Yeah. Good talk. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, you finally got what you were wanting in hedonic adaptation. I know everyone is all satisfied and everyone's hopping off the treadmill and no one is going to be seeking more hedonic adaptation episodes after this. (laughs) So thanks for listening, everybody. You have been listening to Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast. Thank you for listening to our show. We really appreciate it. We have shared with you only a few articles of the thousands that have been published on this subject. Though we wish we could go more in depth, we hope you've enjoyed our introduction and interpretation of this topic. We don't claim to know everything, but we have shared with you our takeaways from reading this research. I'm McKay. And I'm Ben. And we hope you have a great rest of your day.